Dana, actually, I have an idea. Let's do this whole episode as though we're the evil sides of ourselves. We're the mirror, mirror side. And what would be the difference, do you think, if we were doing the mirror, mirror side of this? I don't know. I think we'd be bigger assholes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We're taking you back episode by episode of Star Trek, the original series. Your hosts on this journey are Dan Calzaretta and Dana Smith. I'm Dana Smith. Good evening, Dan. Now, Dana, are you the good Dana or the bad Dana? <laughs> I did uh, shave my beard, so I have a Spock-like goatee. Ah, all this will make sense shortly to our listeners in case they don't <laughs> know this episode that we're talking about. And then I want to go out and buy a uh, Mo Howard wig so I can look more like Spock with the bangs. <laughs> he does kind of look like Mo, doesn't he? Yeah. So let's see. Hold on a second. <laughs> Before we even get started, I got to I got to go down this rabbit hole. This is going to be good. So if Spock were Mo, right, and we just let's just think of McCoy, Scotty and Kirk. Who would be Curly? Scotty maybe? You think Scotty would be Curly? Okay, who would be Larry? That'd be uh, McCoy. And then who's left? That's it. <laughs> Curly, Mo, and Larry. Well, I mean, later they had like Shemp, remember? Yeah. And Curly Joe? Who the hell came up with Curly Joe? That guy <laughs> sucked. They were just trying to keep it going. Did anyone like Curly Joe? I didn't. No. But you know, they made movies in the 60s. Yeah. Those guys were old then. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to love those movies though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the originals. Who was your favorite? Oh, I always loved Curly. Yeah. Curly was the best. I think so, too. <laughs> Do you remember the one where he's eating the soup? Clam soup, wasn't it? The clam, the clam kept spitting at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was great. <laughs> he's just going <laughs> to... I mean, those those guys were... Yeah, they were fun. I've, I've often heard that women don't like the Three Stooges as much as men, but I'll tell you, my wife loves the Three Stooges. Well, that explains why she married you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I really stepped into that one, didn't I? <laughs> it's probably true, though. It's, it's all coming clear now, so... <laughs> Right. Wait, is this a is this a Three Stooges podcast that we're doing? What, what are we doing here? <laughs> okay, real quick. I uh, did have a couple comments from our fans. We had uh, Matthew Fleming talking about this past week's episode, which is a rerun of sorts of Devil in the Dark. Matthew Fleming posted, poor old Schmitter. Yeah, Matt, he was the winner of our prize. That's right. I thought I recognized that name. Yeah, that's yeah, that was him. Yeah, Thomas Cummings said, "quoted just like the others, burned to a crisp." Says that always makes me think of bacon. <laughs> so, I like that. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that was really good. I love bacon. Yeah. Oh man, it's the best. We did have other comments. A lot of emails coming in. So thank you for your comments and emails. We're going to dive right into Mirror Mirror. Let's do it. So a landing party comprised of Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and Uhura are on the Hulken homeworld. And they're working with the Hulkins. I just feel like I'm talking about the Incredible Hulk. Uh, <laughs> or Hulk Hogan. I could see Hulk Hogan starting his own homeworld. Oh, yeah. Is he still alive? I think so. I think so, too. Yeah. Maybe we can get him on the show. <laughs> Anyway, they're trying to gain rights to mine the lithium on the planet. And the Hulkin leaders named Tharn. And do you ever watch Ronan Martin's laughing? Oh, yeah. Remember Henry Gibson? Yeah. This guy looked like Henry Gibson. I thought it was him, too. 
Yeah. So Tharn tells Kirk that uh, while they find him to be believable, it does not change their overall position and that the Halkin Council cannot permit the Federation to mine the lithium on their planet. Tharn says that they are quite peaceful and it seems like the Federation is peaceful, but there's no guarantee that they will always be so. Halkins have a history of total peace. The Halkins are willing to die to prevent one life being taken. Now, during this whole discussion, there is some kind of storm raging, right? Yeah, there's like lightning flashes and thunder going. So nobody seems to pay particular attention to it. I mean, occasionally they like look up at the sky, but right. that's about it. Kirk says he admires the uh, Hawkins ethics and he hopes to be able to prove that the Federation is what they say they are. So we mentioned the storm. It's an ion storm passing through the Hawkins system. Kirk calls up to the Enterprise and asks Spock for a report. Spock tells Kirk that it is a standard ion storm, but rather violent and unpredictable. Kirk tells Spock to prepare to beam up the landing party and also to increase the Enterprise's orbit to clear the disturbance of the storm. Kirk then asks Tharn when they um, can resume negotiations. And Tharn tells Kirk the Council will meditate on the Federation's offer more, but that they shouldn't be very optimistic on any change. Now, I have a question for you about this ion storm. Can I ask you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering if it's the same question I had. Well, what question do you have? And then I'll let you know if it's the same one. <laughs> no, you go first. Well, I was just wondering about the ion pod. Remember? It's, that's the question I had. Did, did anybody get jettisoned? <laughs> yeah. Did, I mean, someone would have had to crawl into the ion pod, right? Yeah. For whatever stupid reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they don't mention that at all. No. Okay. Well, that's the question I had. I just was wondering if you were thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they took that button off the captain's chair. Because, uh, you know, I remember it was, you know, yellow alert, red alert, eject ion pod. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Stupidest like thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, maybe they just like pulled that out, you know, pulled that button out, replaced it with like call a hooker or something. You know? <laughs> 1-800-MUDS-WOMEN. <laughs> so the uh, the landing party goes to beam up and of course there's more thunder and lightning type stuff. And then next thing we see is Spock enters the transporter room. Transporter Chief Kyle is struggling to bring the landing party aboard. Spock uh, helps Kyle to try to beam the landing party aboard, but the landing party starts to mature then disappears. There's a a thunderclap and we see an exterior shot of the Enterprise as it's going left to right. And with each thunder sound, the image jumps and then eventually it flips. So now it's going right to left. We know something's up. Yeah, I thought that was dumb, by the way. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how else they would get the idea across. Yeah. But I just thought it was stupid. I thought it was kind of comical. Yeah. So in the transporter room, the landing party beams aboard, but their uniforms are different. They've got sashes and Uhura is showing her midriff and wearing like thigh high boots. They start to step off the transporter pads when Kirk looks up and sees Spock with a beard, like a goatee. I thought he looked good in the goatee though. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, very manly. I've got a goatee. Yeah. I thought he looked good in the goatee. <laughs> Maybe you should have your ears cropped. I've actually heard of people who've actually had surgery done on their ears. Yeah. That's a little crazy. Yeah. Don't look to me to do that. Well, I think it would enhance the goatee though. I really do. There's a lot of things about myself I would like to fix and I'm not going to start with the ears. (laughs) 
I thought Spock, though, did look really good in the goatee. It gave him a little bit more of a, not menacing, but more sinister look. Yeah, I totally agree. So again, we notice something is up. There's also a different like logo on the doors, isn't there? Yeah, it's like the planet Earth with a sword through it. I thought that was cool. I really liked that logo. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's a line like in the middle of the sword and it goes down through the planet and kind of divides North America. Oh, I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and look at that. Kirk and the rest of the team are kind of shocked. The change and they try to act normal. Different Spock steps up to Kirk asking him for a status report on the mission and not sure what to make of the situation. Kirk just says uh, that there was no change in negotiations. Spock asks Kirk if standard procedures should be initiated, to which Kirk simply nods and says, kind of like a weak yes. Spock steps over the transporter console and contacts the bridge, telling Sulu to program a phaser barrage on the Halkin cities. Spock then asks if the Halkins have any military capabilities, and Kirk tells him they don't. Spock says that is regrettable that the Halkins have chosen suicide. So then Spock turns back to Kyle and says he was supposed to compensate during the ion storm and the carelessness with the equipment cannot be tolerated. Spock then demands for Kyle's agonizer. Kyle begs Spock not to make him use it and one of the security guards comes up and kind of like holds him and then takes the agonizer and hands it to Spock and Spock places it on Kyle's shoulder. You can see like a little electric shock. I like that concept of the agonizer. I mean, not that I like the con- I I just thought it fit with the whole idea of of this alternate enterprise, right? Where yeah. things are kind of not nice. Yeah, in a big way. Kyle drops to the floor. Kirk and the others are uh, are pretty much shocked. And you can see they're wondering what the hell has happened here. So uh, Spock asks Kirk if he feels all right. And Kirk says, uh, no. And they tells McCoy to, that he should check them all out in sickbay. So in sickbay, McCoy comments that everything is out of place. And Kirk determines that they are in a parallel universe where everything is duplicated. Almost. He realizes that if they are on this alternate enterprise, then the landing party from the from this universe must have beamed up to their ship. Kirk asks Scotty to buy them some time by shorting out the main circuit to the phasers to keep them from destroying the Hawkins. Kirk then asks Uhura to go to the bridge and check his orders. Uhura starts to go, then stops, and she's kind of like about ready to say she's scared, and Kirk goes to her and says... She's the only one that can do this. Kirk then says to McCoy that they need to go over the computer records. Now, funny thing, there there was like disks all around the computer space. Yeah. When they were talking about the computer, Kirk goes, we're going to have to rely on this computer to tell us what's going on. It was almost like this is a computer you know, and it's got history. It's got, it can tell us things. It, it was, it was like a weird comment. Yeah. Do you think that was because, you know, computers, I mean, obviously there were no personal computers that at the time, people needed some type of explanation as to what it could do, or what, what was the reasoning for that? Well, yeah, but we've seen them use the computer like a hundred times in the first 30 episodes, you know. And they've also asked the computer queries, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That You're right. That is really an odd thing. Not sure what was going on there. They need to fill up some time? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just struck me as funny. On the bridge of the, and I, I'll keep saying this, of the alternate Enterprise, we see Sulu. He's wearing a red shirt and he has a pretty nasty scar down the right side of his face. Looks like it wasn't really well stitched up. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. <laughs> I thought he, I thought it, it did make him look sinister, you know, and, and kind of evil. I liked it. 
and Chekhov is on the bridge. He's not wearing one of these bad wigs. I think he's it's his own hair. Do you think only in the alternate Enterprise or on the other <laughs> Enterprise? <laughs> no, because we saw him on the other Enterprise. Yeah. And you saw Chekhov. And I was just like, thank God he's not wearing one of those crappy wigs. Well, his hair still didn't look good, though, Dana. I mean, in that scene, I, I, I thought it was a wig, actually, at first, <laughs> because I just didn't think it looked that good. But yeah. I think you're right. It's not a wig at this point, right? No, no. So Uhura comes on the bridge and uh, Sulu gives this kind of evil grin on his face when he sees her and he goes to her and takes her face in his hands and uh, he's not necessarily sweet talking her. And uh, she says, get back to your post. And Sulu's kind of like, you know, ah, the captain's not here. Spock's not here. And, you know, and then he says, well, the cat's away. And just then Kirk walks on the bridge. So Sulu returns to his station and he reports that they're in firing range of the Hulken cities. As Kirk stops by her station, Uhura reports that Kirk's orders are to destroy the Hulkans unless they comply with his request. Which were for the dilithium crystals. Yeah. So Spock enters the bridge and wonders why they haven't fired on the Hulkans. Kirk says, uh, asks Uhura to open up a channel to the Hulkans. Spock looks kind of pissed that they aren't all dead yet. <laughs> Kirk says, uh, they're a new race. They offer other things of value. And Spock says, we have our orders. And Kirk says, to put phasers on standby. The whole bridge, Sulu, Spock, Chekhov, all turn, look at him like, you know, who is this guy? And uh, Spock says, you're in violation of the Empire's orders. Kirk tells you, her that he wants to meet with Scotty and McCoy in his quarters. She looks like she wants to go too, but Kirk kind of shakes his head no, and she understands. So right when Kirk is talking to her, Chekhov gets up from his station and he hits some buttons. Was it like putting the, the ship on autopilot or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. It was the cruise control. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as it turns out, he's probably alerting some people, isn't he? Oh, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't think about that. I think that's what he was doing, which we're going to find out about in this next scene, I think. Chekhov gets on the turbo lift and Kirk gets on the turbo lift as well. So when the door is open, Kirk gets smacked in the face. You see just like a hand, like smack him right in the face. And then Chekhov draws his phaser and says, you will die, Captain, and all of us will move up in rank. I thought that was a great scene, by the way, the way it was filmed. As yeah. soon as the door opens, like you said, that hand is like a palm that comes out and just smacks him right in the center of the face. And then all of a sudden you see there's blood on his lips. So just the editing of that, I thought was pretty well done. Chekhov again says, you know, all of us will move up in rank. No one will question the assassination of a captain who disobeyed direct orders from the Empire. And Chekhov kind of shows an evil grin. So that there's two guys that are holding Kirk. One guy is off to the side of Chekhov. All of a sudden this guy steps forward. He's got like a blue jumpsuit type thing on. And and he knocks the phaser out of Chekhov's hands and then punches him, knocks him down. And Kirk wrestles with one of the guards, throws him. And the guy in the blue outfit pulls his phaser and disintegrates that guy. Yeah. And then Kirk pushes off this other guard that was holding him. And the and this guy does the same thing to that guard. So he disintegrates two of them. Yeah. Turbo lift doors open up and two more men in blue suits come out. And the older guy asks if they should put Chekhov in the booth. And Kirk says yes, even though it's he, it's clear that he has no idea what the booth is. I mean, they mean like a phone booth? What, you know, what what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, it could have been like, you know, a tanning booth. You know, it's like. 
In Kirk's quarters, Kirk tells McCoy and Scotty to watch themselves as officers move up by killing their superiors. McCoy says the sick bay is like a chamber of horrors. He said two of the staff were betting on the pain tolerance of a patient. <laughs> I kind of like that, actually. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like it in the sense that I would do it. I just thought it was interesting in this alternate <laughs> enterprise that that's what they would be doing, you know? Yeah, no, but it makes sense. Kirk sits down and accesses the computer and it's a male voice. Kirk asks about the ion storm and whether or not it could be duplicated using the ship's power. No, Dana, hold on. This whole thing with interrogating the computer, <laughs> he already knew what all the answers were, right? He's like, is it possible that could have caused an alternate universe? Yes, that is possible. Can we duplicate it? Yes, you can. I mean, it was just kind of ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, the computer says it's affirmative, and he puts a card in and says, record procedure. After a moment, he takes the card out and hands it to Scotty, and Scotty says, I'll need some help. He looks at McCoy, who says, I'm a doctor, not an engineer. No, you're an engineer. Yeah, we got one in this episode. That's awesome. Scotty was working on another computer and says uh, he can do the power surge, but it will show up on Sulu's panel. Kirk says he'll get Uhura to create a diversion. Mm -hmm. After Scotty leaves, McCoy asks, what's going on with the counterparts back on the Enterprise? And then we cut back to the normal Enterprise and see two guards wrestling with the alternate Kirk. And the guards throw him in the brig with the alternate Scotty, Uhura, and McCoy. And they all act extremely mad, kind of cursing that Spock who's just outside the door. Yeah, that, that scene was interesting to me for a couple of reasons, because it's really the only time we see the alternate Enterprise landing party on the normal Enterprise, right? Yeah. I just wish they would have shown a little bit more on the normal Enterprise of the alternate Enterprise group, you know, causing some havoc. Yeah, because I would have liked to seen more of what those characters were like. Yeah. So the alternate Kirk threatens Spock. He says, I'll hang you by your Vulcan ears. And alternate Kirk is saying he'll kill them all. Then Spock stays very calm and says, Apparently some kind of transposition has taken place. I find it extremely interesting. Spock, what is it that will buy you? Power? Fascinating. Do you think at this point Spock has reasoned it all out? Yeah, I, I think he's got a good idea. Back on the Mirror ISS Enterprise, good Captain Kirk is walking down the hall when Spock stops him saying he's glad Chekhov's plot was foiled, does not desire to command the ship. Spock says he does not want to find himself opposing Kirk, but if Kirk persists in this confusing, inexplicable behavior, he will have no choice. Kirk tells Spock, You would find me a formidable enemy. I'm aware of that, Captain. I trust that you are aware of the reverse. That's another good line, though. Spock in this alternate universe is a badass. Yeah, he is totally. So next we see a guard standing in front of a door, and I believe it's engineering. McCoy comes up on the guard's right, and the guard sees Scotty approaching. The guard salutes Scotty, and McCoy gives the guard a tranquilizer. Scotty and McCoy drag him into engineering, and McCoy says that'll hold him for about six hours. Now, one of the things I was reading is that you could see one of the guys that pulls the door open. You could see his arm. No, I did not notice that. Yeah, I even went back and looked. I mean, I could see something. You barely notice it. 
I'm going to have to go back and look. So Scotty goes up a ladder and he then he comes up to this control panel and just flips some switches. And he's being very careful and very quiet. He looks down in engineering and nobody's looking at him. Then uh, next thing we go to is uh, Kirk as he enters his quarters. And we see a woman lying on his bed. And Kirk's a little bit shocked, but maybe happily surprised. So maybe this alternate universe isn't so bad after all. So she kind of stirs and sits up and she says, sorry, I fell asleep. And she gets up from the bed saying that they had quite a time in the chem lab after the storm. So she pushes a button on the replicator and opens the door and looks like two martinis. Yeah, it did. She says, uh, I'm sure my day was nothing compared to your day. And she says, you must be up to something special. And she figures that either the Hawkins have something he wants, or he's trying to scheme a way to advance to the Admiralty, or perhaps even the Cabinet. So she kisses him and Kirk kisses her back. And then he's hailed via the intercom. Intercom interrupt us. <laughs> Spock says he has received a message from Starfleet Command and that by telling Kirk about it, he is violating regulations. Spock tells Kirk that he must wait until plant, planet dawn over... I copied this out of Memory Alpha, and this makes no fucking sense. <laughs> okay, so I think what he's saying is that he's got until the morning. Planet dawn. I get planet dawn. Yeah. I was like, no, I thought they were all the Hulk and planet, not the dawn planet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in the evil universe, Dawn, Tony Orlando and Dawn actually are going to be zapped by the, which wouldn't be a big loss, actually. Do you remember they used to have a Tony Orlando and Dawn variety hour? Yeah. I think that lasted a couple of years. Probably. Yeah. That, see, that's our alternative bad universe. Why that stuff ever was allowed to exist. Donnie and Marie. Oh, the whole variety show thing was was huge in like the 70s. Yeah. It was like bad artists. Well, Sonny and Cher, they were another one that had... Yeah. Do you remember the the one on Sonny and Cher where it was like the skit where he is skiing and crashes into a tree and dies? Oh, wait, no, that was real life. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's me. And she's like, thank God. <laughs> Finally, this doofus is dead. This guy that's been holding me back. I'm going to go shack up with Greg Allman and just let loose now. My life will be so improved. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine like uh, Greg and Cher, that show? <laughs> that would have been alternative universe with those two. So Spock tells Kirk he must wait until planet dawn over the principal target to permit Kirk to carry out their mission. If Kirk does not discharge his duties, then Spock is ordered to kill him and proceed against the Hulkins as the new captain of the Enterprise. So Kirk says he won't kill Spock and he won't kill the Hulkins. Moreau asks if she should activate the Tantalus field. So Kirk says yes. And again, it's like one of these things where he's kind of like not sure if he should say yes or not. And she goes over to a wall hanging and pushes a button and the decoration moves and reveals a screen. She asks, how many enemies have you wiped out of existence? And Kirk looks a little concerned and she pushes a button and we see Spock in his quarters. She holds her finger over another button and the button looks like it's dried up silly putty. What were they thinking with that? It looked bad. It looked really bad. You're right. I mean, there's cracks in it and stuff. That's why I say it looked like dried up silly putty. So she goes to push the button and Kirk stops her and then he turns off the system and she says, if Spock fails his orders, then he will be killed regardless. And Kirk says, I'll see that he is cleared. So Kirk calls Scotty and says he has four hours and Scotty says they have about 30 minutes. <laughs> of, course that, of course he says that. Of course. <laughs> 
And Scott says this, uh, the two-way transmission affected local field densities within the two universes, and they've got to escape within a half hour or they'll be stuck in the mirror universe for the rest of their lives. And that explanation makes perfect sense, Dana. I was just going to skip right past that. Yeah, no one knows what that means. Scott needs Kirk to get to the transporter room in about 10 minutes and free up the board so Scott can lock in. Kirk says after he leaves the transporter room, he'll meet Scotty and McCoy in sickbay. So in Kirk's quarters, Monroe has changed into something silky and sexy. It's like kind of a flowing see-through robe. She says she's a little rusty. <laughs> Kirk sits on the bed with her and you can kind of see the wheels turn and then he goes, I have to go. <laughs> so hold on a second. What, what was that conversation about? <laughs> Okay, first off, rusty. Is that a euphemism? But <laughs> I was wondering what that meant. Well, I think she meant at like wooing him, trying to seduce him. Oh. She made it sound like they haven't had normal relations in a while. You would think on that version of the Enterprise, like rabbits. Yeah. Everybody. I think you'd be seen in the hallways. Oh, totally. And and then, of course, he kisses her and he leaves the quarters. In the turbo lift, he calls Uhura and says she must keep Sulu occupied and away from the security board. Uhura gets up from her chair and goes down to Sulu. She kind of flirts with him and he grabs her and she says uh, she's changed her mind and she wants to be chased. And and uh, he's like, that's more like it. And all of a sudden, she pulls back and smacks him. Because th- this is the point where she's supposed to distract him. Is that is that what's happening yeah. here? And uh, Sulu looks outraged. And it's, I mean, I think this is really great on his part. He just, he looks like he wants to kill. Uhura gets on the turbo lift and she exits. Uhura calls Scotty and says, all clear, I'm on my way to sickbay. And just then we see Kirk in the transporter room messing around with the knobs on the transporter control panel. So Spock comes in with his phaser drawn. He says, please restrict your movements, Captain. Spock points out that since he got back from the planet, the captain has acted in an atypical fashion. Kirk tells him to shoot and get it over with. And Spock says, you are too inflexible and disciplined where Dr. McCoy is sentimental and soft. He says, I will get more out of McCoy. And then he orders Kirk to sickbay. Once in sickbay, Spock sees the entire landing party is waiting. He orders Kirk to stand with the others. And Kirk knocks the phaser out of Spock's hand. And a fight ensues. And again, we get to see how strong Spock is because he's just like throwing people aside. And he pushes Uhura back and she goes flying across the room. McCoy tries to jump on him and he just like flips him over his back. Scotty comes up and tries to punch him and Spock knocks him down. During the scene when they are showing from the camera angles, like like on the ceiling, looking down at this whole thing. And I'm sure you have the same impression of the stunt actors. I don't even think the Spock stuntman had a beard. And the guy didn't look anything like Spock. <laughs> and whoever was playing McCoy, you know, did, did not resemble him in any way. Oh, the guy that played Scotty had like more more hair than Scotty had. Just so bad. And we've, we've mentioned this on many of the other episodes, you know, but this one was particularly bad. So finally, Uhura hands Kirk a uh, skull of some kind and Kirk crashes it over Spock's head, knocking him out. But just that the skull would be laying around. Like, why Why the skull? I mean, aren't they're in sickbay, right? But apparently sickbay 
is not sick bay like we know it. But wouldn't there still be a hypo in sick bay? Couldn't he just give him a shot to knock him out? I mean, if you get that close to hit him with a skull, you can give him a hypo in the back. Scotty gets up from the floor and says, we've only got about 15 minutes, Captain. And McCoy checks Spock and says, help me get him on the table. And McCoy says, come on, he'll die if we don't get him some treatment. And we see Moreau is watching from the Tantalus device. McCoy, he just says he needs a minute to save him. And Kirk says, go ahead. So again, Scotty pleads with the captain and says, we barely got 10 minutes. And McCoy says he needs more time. He can't let Spock die. Yeah, in fact, hold on a second, Dana, because at first he said, I just need one minute. And now he's saying, I need five minutes. Well, what is it? You need one or five? Are you a doctor or a timekeeper? (laughs) (laughs) McCoy says, I'll be there in five minutes. You go to the transporter room. I'll be there, I promise. And so they they all leave. Spock wakes up and asks why the captain let him live. He pushes McCoy back against the wall and he does a mind meld with him. So in the transporter room, Scotty suddenly says, the power is cut. They're on to us. And Kirk's like, can we still operate the transporter? And he says, we can run a bypass, but that means somebody has to stay behind and operate the controls. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. How many times do we see people set controls and then go jump on the transporter? Exactly right. People that have never operated the transporter before, as a matter of fact. Scotty volunteers to stay behind and Kirk says, he'll stay and orders Scotty and you heard to the transporter pads. Scotty grabs Kirk's shoulder and says, Jim. And I think this is the first time Scotty ever calls him Jim. Yeah, but Dana, my God, it was so insincere. And I'm sure what they, the, the director told James Doohan, okay, look, you know, like he's your friend. Okay, say his name like he's your friend. And he probably said it, you know, he's like, oh, hold on, cut. No, no, say it like like he's your friend, like you actually like him. <laughs> and I think that James Doohan could not get beyond how much he despised William Shatner. It just, it just, it leaks out of every pore in his body in that one tiny scene. Yeah, well, Kirk tells him he'll stay and for Scott you get on the transporter and he says that's an order and Scott's like fine fine I will leave you behind I hate your ass so the doors open and we see McCoy come through the door with Spock and Spock says I cut the power to delay you transporting out until I got here so Spock gets the transporter power back on he says you have two minutes and now I wanted to turn off the TV because Kirk goes into this long thing one man can change history and you know that's it's illogical for you to serve the empire it doesn't make sense and one man can make a change and one man can summon the future and Spock says on second thought I will kill you right now (laughs) just to shut you up (laughs) he he just keeps going he says be captain of the enterprise Mr. Spock find a logical reason for sparing the Hawkins and make it stick push it till it gives (laughs) that's what she said says, you can defend yourself better than any man in the fleet. Spock tells Kirk that a man must have the power to affect change. Kirk reveals the existence of the Tantalus field with which Spock will be invincible. Now, Dana, during this whole part where Kirk is going on and on, I got the feeling this was like those episodes where he was talking the computers to death. Yeah, that's what I thought he was trying to do to Spock. I thought it mean, practically talked me to death. Yeah. Was, you know? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. Just not good. It just went on and on. Kirk gets on the transporter pad because Spock's like, you know, time's running out, you dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for you to go. (laughs) 
<laughs> he says, make the choice, past or future, tyranny or freedom. And then he's, he tells Spock, in every revolution, there's one man with a vision. And Spock says, Captain Kirk, I shall consider it. And then he beams him into a rock down on the planet, is what I would have done. <laughs> he should have. <laughs> he should have. <laughs> So landing party gets back on the Enterprise and they see Spock and he looks normal, doesn't have a beard. Later on the bridge, Kirk asks Spock how he's able to tell who the alternate landing party was. Spock tells Kirk that as civilized men, they were able to impersonate barbarians much easier than it was for barbarians to imitate civilized men. McCoy says he thinks he likes Spock better with a beard. It gave him some character. Kirk mentions how easily the counterpart Spock fit into the other universe and speculated that Spock might be a bit of a pirate at heart. Spock comments on how he observed their counterparts. May I point out that I had an opportunity to observe your counterparts here quite closely. They were brutal, savage, unprincipled, uncivilized, treacherous. I found them quite refreshing. Kirk says he's not sure, but he thinks they've been insulted. And McCoy says, I'm sure. So at that moment, a woman comes onto the bridge. She looks like uh, Marlene Moreau from the ISS Enterprise. Kirk, McCoy, and Scott and Uhura all are shocked to see her. And after she walks away, Spock asks Kirk if he knows her, citing his reaction as one of recognition. And Kirk tells Spock that they hadn't met before exactly. And he says she seems like a nice, likable girl. Yeah. Calls her a girl, Dana. Come on. Yeah, and then he says, perhaps we can become friends. And Spock, yeah, and Spock has got to be like, oh, don't do this again. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, how many yeomen are you going to go through? Yeah, oh, and then the, the camera pulls back to show the whole bridge, and Kirk gets up and walks down next to her, like, you know, hey, little girl, want a piece of candy? Yeah, it's just, it's bad. It is, yeah, I totally agree. Really bad. But that's how the show ends. Yep, it ends just like that. You're right, Dana. <laughs> what an ending. Dana, what did you pick out of this episode as far as themes and dilemmas go? One of the things I, I thought about a lot is that they're dealing with a ruthless mirror universe. And all the while, they're trying to maintain their civilized, peace-loving, let's-get-along attitudes. It's a life-and-death situation most of the time. And I would think that, you know, it'd be easy. Yeah, you know, let's kill Chekhov. He's not the Chekhov I know. Did you have anything? Well, I think they've done this before in some episodes, this idea of the duality of, of humans, right? The good side, the bad side. They do it in a very black and white way, though. You know, that doesn't seem very real to me. But I, I don't think I buy that idea of the black and white, good and bad side of people. I mean, I think it's obviously a mix. <laughs> So, Dan, what do you think some of the best parts of the show were? I think the evil Sulu was great. <laughs> the scar, the way he was like treating people on the ship was just totally out of character, which made sense, right? Um, but I, I thought that was really played well. How about you, best part? Uhura's alternative uniform. You know, instead of being so short, it's it was actually longer. And uh, I liked the thigh-high boots. She had a knife in the boots. That was kind of cool. And then uh, showing the midriff. And there's a uh, story about that, that both her and uh, the woman that played Marlene Moreau both showed their midriff and the censors didn't catch it. Oh, interesting. So you mean that normally would have been canceled out or they'd say they had to cover up? You weren't supposed to show a woman's belly button. 
Oh. You got anything else you think's best part? Well, this kind of goes to one of the evil, you know, or alternate characters. I thought Chekhov really played that well. You know, in the first several episodes that we saw that Chekhov's in, he's kind of the goofy, funny. They give him some comical lines. In this one, he's ready to, to kill Kirk. Yeah, and he really looked like he wanted to kill him. Yeah, yeah. It's because Kirk made fun of his wig, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like he's got room to talk. <laughs> exactly right. How about you? Another best part. Spock's alternate persona. And you know, I think one of the things you read about actors all the time, you see actors that are always playing like good guys and that. I read something about George C. Scott a long time ago, and he said, the best characters are the bad guys. And so I think for the cast to be able to play these roles was a challenge and probably fun for them. How about a worst part? Did you have one? Don't they know by now not to beam up during an ion storm? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't this just be standard procedure? Bad things happen, ion storms. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, again, I think a lot of holes in this episode. How about you? You got any worse parts? Yeah, I already said this, but I'm going to say it again because it was that bad. The stunt people, for this episode, it just seems like the producers or the director just gave up even caring. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. And maybe that's why they pulled in the dishwashers from the cafeteria or the commissary, whatever they call it, and said, okay, you're, you're evil Spock in this one. You know, just, I mean, I don't, I just thought it was particularly bad. How about another worst part for you? I have a question. Okay. If they're in a mirror universe and they're on the ISS Enterprise, would the Hawkins be the opposite of peace-loving people? So if it's a mirror universe, would the Hawkins just be warmongering people? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I I can't answer that. Anything else? bad for you? Yeah. Uh, once again, I mentioned this already, but I'm going to say it again. When Scotty says, Jim, in the transporter room, so insincere. Dana, I just have the feeling you got another worst part to share with us. Well, I kind of referenced this before, but why were they so against the killing of the people in the alternate universe? I mean, they, they really mean nothing to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I don't know, except that they're ethical people and they don't want to be responsible for killing someone if they don't need to, I suppose. Unless it's an alien creature that's the last of their kind. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, a good uh... point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good. Once again, holes, Dana. This episode should have been named Hole Hole instead of Mirror Mirror. So, Dana, what happened on this date in history? Now, you have an option. You can either give us the real thing or make up a mirror thing. <laughs> Well, I found some interesting things. Three students at Duke University became the first people to be certified as physician assistants, PAs. Those three people that started the PA revolution. And it seems like these days you go to see a doctor and chances are you're going to see a PA. Yeah, I did not know it was that long ago. In Canada, they had the record for heaviest rainfall in 24 hours was set in the town of, oh, I don't know why I picked this one. <laughs> <laughs> Just say Montreal. I don't know. <laughs> it's U-C-L-U-E-T-E-T, -E -E British Columbia. Yeah, I, I don't want to insult anybody. Well, at least not any more than we've already done. <laughs> I should have looked that up phonetically. And that's uh, located on the west coast of Vancouver Island, 489 millimeters, 19.25 inches of precipitation from a downpour that had started the day before. Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, uh, the hippies threw a funeral for hippie, in quotation marks, to mark an end to the summer of love. So wait, wait a second now. <laughs> I'm <a little> confused. <laughs> so they threw a funeral, but not for a person. No, it's just 
there was a gesture to mark the end of the summer, quote unquote, summer of love. So Dan, the number one song in the US, it's not Engelbert Humperdinck, but it is the letter by the box tops. I think that's three weeks in a row. And in the UK, it's the Bee Gees with the song Massachusetts. <laughs> okay. Well, number one, happy that Engelbert is no longer number one. I, I know what the Bee Gees are. I've never heard of that song. Yeah, me either. Okay. I got one more thing. It wasn't on October 6th, Dan, but October 10th, the Outer Space Treaty between the United States, the Soviet Union, and 10 other nations took effect at a ratification ceremony held at the East Room of the White House. Hey, let's move on to the counts. Dead crewman count this week, Dana. I counted zero. No, I'll agree with you. So zero, so we're uh, still stuck at 31. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? None. All right, so we got zero on that for a total of 10. He's dead. We got, uh, he'll die. But we didn't get he's dead. So zero, we're stuck at five. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. I'm a doctor, not an engineer. I like that one, especially Scotty's response. Yeah, you're an engineer now. Yeah. So we have one total of five. Supreme being count. None. Yeah, zero, total of six. Violation of the prime directive count. Yeah, none. Total of four. Dana, what do we got coming up next week? Dan, it's the apple. All right, great. Well, (laughs) I had a a lot of fun tonight, Dana, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. As always, Dan, it's a pleasure. Anytime we get to talk about Star Trek and review these shows, I have a great time. Thanks for all our listeners for the communication. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the episode, The Apple. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper.